chapter 3, verse 1. We'll look at the first six verses this morning, Lord willing. All of these sermons are all online. If you miss a week and want to catch up on something that we missed, I know sometimes when you're going through a series, if you miss a week, sometimes you might get a little lost. So if you ever want to listen to any of our past sermons, they're on the church website or on your favorite uh, podcast app on your phone or on YouTube or just about anywhere else, but you can find those online should you choose to. Hebrews chapter 3. Let's pray and then we'll get started. Father God, we come to you this morning and I pray that today would be a good day. Dear Lord, it's a good day when we seek you, when we hear your word and when we live by it. But dear Lord, perhaps if we are honest, there are too many days, too many Sundays we sit on a pew and your word is being read and we don't listen to your word. We don't hear your word and even worse than that, dear Lord, we hear it and don't live by it. And God, those are bad days. But dear Lord, we do not want today to be a bad day. We want to be today to be a good day. We want your Holy Spirit to speak to us. I pray that you would open our ears and open our heart, dear Lord, that you would help us to hear from you today, dear Lord. There is no good word that I can say that can come from my mouth if it does not come from you. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through me today, dear Lord, that you would be with us, that you'd give us a good day, and that in all things it would be for your glory, and all things that Jesus Christ would be lifted up. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are moving on. We have spent the first two chapters really looking at the idea of angels. That's been kind of the main topic that the author of Hebrews has been addressing. To sum it up, Jesus is better than the angels. That's the case that the author of Hebrews made. And that's setting the groundwork for the rest of the book of Hebrews. Now, to remind you, the audience that this book is being written to, these are Jewish Christians. That's pretty clear throughout the book as we read that these are Christian people. These are people who have, who have started a walk with Christ, who have been following Christ, but under some persecution, they are tempted to turn back to the old way. Now, before Jesus came, there was this old sacrificial system and the temple and all of these things and the priesthood. But the author of Hebrews is telling his Jewish audience, the old ways have gone away. They are no more. Jesus is better than those things of the past, those things that you hold in such high esteem. The author of Hebrews says those things are nothing. And so therefore, don't turn from what you have in Christ back to something that is no more, back to something that is now nothing. And so throughout the book of Hebrews, he's making this case. First, Jesus is better than the angels. And here today we move to his next argument, and that is of Moses. Now Moses was a big deal in the Old Testament. If you've never read the Old Testament, read through the book of Exodus, and you'll see pretty quickly Moses was a pretty big deal. And even into the time of Jesus' ministry, when Jesus came onto the scene, Moses was a big deal. Because many of those that Jesus tried to minister to, they loved the law. They loved it. They loved Moses. They loved the law. And they held Moses to such high esteem. But they totally missed that Jesus was greater 
than Moses. And Jesus said things and did things that should have been clues for them, and they should have picked up on it. And some of them understood that Jesus was the Messiah, and some of them were determined that they were going to continue to follow Moses. And even today, that is the case for most Jews. They seek Moses with all that is in them. They seek the old ways. If only Jews today would read the book of Hebrews and turn to Jesus Christ, how much better would they be? But these, this audience that we're looking at here, these appear by all accounts throughout the book to be Christian people. They are people who are in Christ. In Christ there is no Jew and there is no Gentile. There is only Christians. There are only those who follow Jesus Christ. And the author of Hebrews says you are there. You have discovered what is best, so therefore don't turn to what you used to know. And that's what we see throughout the book of Hebrews. And so today we will be in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and companions in a heavenly calling... Now, he says, therefore. We see that word a lot in Hebrews. We see it throughout the scriptures. Therefore. What we see through Hebrews is he's building from one case to the next. He's making one case. He's making one argument. And then he's using that, and he's, and he's using that to bolster his next argument. So what we saw at the end of chapter 2 is that Jesus took on flesh. He became like us so that he could do all the things that we could not do. As humanity, it is impossible for us to be saved. It is impossible possible for us to walk in full obedience to God. But Jesus did what was impossible for God and granted uh, salvation, or excuse me, what was impossible for us so that we can gain salvation through what Jesus has done. And so Jesus has become like us in every way, the author of Hebrews said. He was like us. He suffered like us. He was tested like us. And he has become our conqueror. He has overcome all the tests that you and I have failed. Therefore, he says, since Jesus has overcome everything, since he has been tested and since he has succeeded, Jesus is great, he's saying. Therefore, holy brothers and companions in a heavenly calling, Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Think about who Jesus is and what he has done. Let me tell you today, maybe you sit on this pew today and you don't know who Jesus is and what he has done. Let me tell you today, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. You and I have sinned in so many ways that we could not even begin to number them. Jesus Christ came and he was perfectly Sinless. The wages of sin, for our sin is death. But the gift of God through Jesus Christ is grace. It's eternal life. And so Jesus offers us something that, that we cut ourselves off from because of our sin. That's who Jesus is. And Jesus accomplished that not just by coming and walking around and doing a few good works. No, he suffered and he died and he was nailed to a cross. Knowing full well the sins that you and I were going to commit. And yet Jesus hung there and he bled and he died so that you and I could be forgiven. But yet death was not the end for him. Even though he was placed in a grave, God raised him three days later and he is victorious. So therefore, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus this morning. What hope is there for you? Is there hope in the world? There is none. Is there hope in your wealth and your riches and your power and your fame? There is none. Is there, is there hope in the Old Testament law, in the sacrifices, in the temple, in Moses, in the priesthood? There is not hope in any of those things, but there is hope in Jesus. 
So therefore, the author of Hebrews says, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus this morning. That message is good for you and I today. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now that's an interesting word that the author of Hebrews attributes to Jesus, apostle. And I don't believe that we see that anywhere else in the scripture. But yet here Jesus is called our apostle. Now, the word apostle simply means one who is sent. And so perhaps what he means here, Jesus is our apostle, that is the one who was sent for us. Now, we know that Jesus had apostles and disciples that he sent out, and so he sends out you and I today to continue to do the work. But here he says of Jesus, consider Jesus the apostle, the one who was sent for your behalf, and what else? And the high priest of our confession. Now, He's only briefly mentioning high priest here. He briefly mentioned high priest at the end of, of, of chapter 2. And we're going to talk a lot about the priesthood here in a few weeks or months when we get to that part. But, but here he's just kind of, he's kind of giving them a clue, a hint as to what's coming up. Now the priesthood was, was a big deal in the Old Testament. The priesthood was huge and the high priest was the highest of honors. I mean, this was a big deal. There was atonement that was made on behalf of the people, but it was a limited atonement and such because, as the book of Hebrews will tell us, the blood of goats and bulls was never sufficient to cover our sins. And that's why the work of Jesus as high priest is sufficient. Not that Jesus came as a high priest to continue to offer sacrifices, but that Jesus put an end to the sacrifices once and for all. That for three and a half years, Jesus walked this earth and he ministered and he taught and he called people to follow him and to put their faith and trust in him and to see that he was the Messiah. And after three and a half years, Jesus was sacrificed on the cross and at that point, the end was put to the sacrifices and God tore the veil from top to bottom in the temple. Because the old way was done, and that is what the author of Hebrews wants his audience and us to know. Consider Jesus. He is our apostle who was sent for us, and he has accomplished what he was sent to do to become our high priest on our behalf. Continuing on in verse 2. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all of God's household. He was faithful. This is important. This is what makes Jesus' work good because he was faithful when we are not. So Jesus was faithful. He's making this point. And how is he going to make this point? He uses it by bringing up Moses. He says Jesus was faithful just as Moses was in all God's household. Why does he bring up Moses? Because this is a Jewish audience. They grew up knowing about Moses. Now, they have put their faith in Jesus Christ, but, but, but he's telling them Jesus is better than Moses ever was, and Moses was good. Now, he's not knocking Moses here. The author of Hebrews is not belittling Moses. He's not saying that Moses was insignificant. No, he's saying Moses was good. All of these things we see in Hebrews were good in their time. Moses was good. The tabernacle was good. The sacrificial system was good. The priesthood was good. Those things were good, but they were only a shadow of what was to come. And those things have passed away, and Jesus Christ has come. And the old covenant has passed away, the author of Hebrews tells us. And a new covenant has come through Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. So he says, therefore, consider Jesus. He's a faithful servant, just like Moses was a faithful servant. Continuing on in verse 3. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses. 
Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, as good as Moses was. Oh, the powerful works that God did through Moses. Now, Moses wasn't perfect. He wasn't sinless, but he was faithful. He was faithful in a way that that we see few in the Old Testament who were. And some of those that we see in the Old Testament that are that are lifted up to the highest esteem, that are that are called faithful, some of them had sin in their life. They didn't say that they were sinless, but they were faithful in what they did. And Moses was faithful. And if Moses is worthy of some glory, which he is, I mean, man, God spoke to Moses in a powerful way, in a way that he didn't speak to other people, the Old Testament tells us. But yet Jesus is worthy of more glory. If Moses was good, then Jesus is great. Jesus is better than Moses, the author of Hebrews says. Just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testimony to what would be said in the future. So the builder, the builder is worthy of more honor than the house. And who is the builder? It's not Moses. Moses is part of the household of God. And as being part of the household of God and being in the household of God, he was faithful in the household of God. But the author of Hebrews says here, but Moses was part of that household. He was in that household, but it's Jesus who built that household. And so the builder is worthy of more honor and worthy of more glory than, than the house. And Moses was part of that house, but there's something bigger that has come on to the scene through, through Jesus Christ. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household. Now, that is a quotation from Numbers chapter 12, verse 7 there. That's an interesting chapter. I would encourage you to read it this week if you haven't read it. But Aaron and Miriam brought a charge against Moses. They were displeased with Moses. They, they, they didn't like what was going on with Moses, and they really kind of called Moses out, and they questioned Moses. Perhaps some of you remember the story of Korah. We referenced that a couple of weeks ago. Well, here's Aaron and Miriam, and they are, they are displeased with how things are going with Moses, and God calls them out for it. If you want to, if you want to uh, turn to Numbers chapter 12, you can. I'll read it real quickly. Numbers chapter 12. Uh, verse 6, this is the Lord speaking here. He had called Aaron, Aaron and Miriam to come before him. They had, were unhappy with Moses. They were questioning him, and God said, All right, I want to meet with y'all. Y'all, y'all come on here. This was not a good, good day for them. Verse 6, he said, Listen to what I say. If there is a prophet among you from the Lord, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. That's the same, same passage we just read there in Hebrews. Okay, so God is coming, and he's coming to Moses' defense here. And he's saying, you better hold up. You're calling out the one that I have, I have, I have talked to and I have dealt with and that I am using. God says, look. They were saying, well, we can do some of the same things that Moses does. God speaks to us too. And God says, hold up. Yeah, I speak to some other people in some other ways, but not the same way that I do with Moses because he is my faithful servant in all my household. Verse 8, I speak with him directly, openly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. 
So why are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The Lord's anger burned against them. This was not a good day for Miriam. She was struck with a disease. Why? Because she called out God's faithful servant. And perhaps that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to call out to his audience here. Okay, if Moses was a faithful servant, if Moses was a faithful servant, and this happened to Miriam for calling Moses out, and Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, then how bad will it be for those who reject Jesus Christ, for those who question Jesus Christ, for those who don't put their faith in Jesus Christ? Because Jesus is a more faithful servant than Moses, and Moses was a faithful servant over the household of God. That's an interesting term that's applied there of Moses. And, and it appears as though what that's speaking of is God's people here are called the household of God. Now, typically in the Old Testament, when we see the house of God, it's speaking of the tabernacle. And then it's speaking of the temple that would come years later down the road. Often we see the word house spoken of in that way when we see God's house in the Old Testament. But perhaps this passage in Numbers chapter 12 is alluding to a better household to come. It's saying, hey, look, Moses is a servant in my household, and here we see that same language. But what we see that's interesting in the New Testament is there is a change in the house of God, in the household of God. You see, before Jesus in the Old Testament, when we talk about the temple, that is the household of God. But after Jesus, we don't see the temple spoken of in that way in the New Testament. We still see the temple spoken of, but it's spoken of in a different way. Is the temple a building in the New Testament? It is not. It is the people of God. There are a few scriptures we will look at that speak of that very thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary? And that God's Spirit, the Spirit of God, lives in you. Okay, so there's one passage that speaks of the believers, followers of Jesus Christ in that way. We are God's sanctuary. We are God's tabernacle. We are God's household. God dwells in us. We see similar language in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, as living stones, are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What does he say there? That we are being built into a spiritual house. And so what used to be significant in the Old Testament, the temple and the tabernacle, those things are not like they used to be. In fact, those things were gone soon after the author of Hebrews wrote this book. And Jesus has said that at the end of Matthew chapter 23. He says to the people, to the Jewish people, your house, there's a change there. It was God's house before then. But now it's their house because they're not following God. They're, they're, they're making God's house their own thing. And Jesus says, your house will be left to you desolate. And soon thereafter, he says, it ain't going to be long till there will not be one stone left on top of another. And the temple soon after that was completely and totally destroyed. And with the old temple destroyed, there is a new temple, and it is the believers in Christ. It is those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We are living stones. There is no more temple and a priesthood because the Scripture says that we are a royal priesthood, that we are a nation of God. That is the believers, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that's the point the author of Hebrews is making. He says, these things have passed away and will be no more because Jesus has come, the new covenant has come. These things were a shadow of what was to come, 
But Jesus is the fulfillment of that shadow. So you and I today are the house of God. You and I today are the temple of God, and God dwells in us. And Jesus tells us that in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 2. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Now, my translation there says dwelling place. Some of your translations say mansion, which is an unfortunate translation because the actual meaning there is a dwelling place, a place where God dwells. Not so much, I don't think, a mansion that is in the sky somewhere that we will be in one day, but I believe what Jesus is saying here. In my Father's house, and we see many times in the New Testament that it appears that Christians are the house of God. In the house of God are many dwelling places because there are many of us who make up the house of God. And so when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it is the Holy Spirit that indwells in us. It indwells in you. It indwells in me. So there are many dwelling places in the house of God. And Jesus further affirms this down further in John chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to, make, come to him and make our home with him. Now, the word home there and the word dwelling place or mansion in the other verse that we looked at, it's the same word in the Greek. And here it's a little clearer. Jesus says, if you love me, we will come make our home with him. And so here we see in the book of Hebrews that it speaks of, the household of God, that Moses was in the household of God and he was faithful in the household of God, but Jesus is greater than Moses was. In the New Testament, that household changes. It's no longer a building, but is you and I. And the question we must answer today is, does Jesus dwell in us today? Have we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Are we trusting in one who is greater than Moses and anything else in our life? Are we trusting in our own ways and our own finances and our own wealth and our own abilities because there is no hope in those things? Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testimony to what would be said in the future. So that's pointing forward to what is to come in Jesus Christ. Yeah, Moses had a purpose, and it was a good purpose, and he fulfilled his purpose. And all that he did in the household of God, and all that God did in the Old Testament fulfilled its purpose, but it's pointing to a future purpose that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household, and we are that Household. Well, that's exactly what we just talked about, that we are the household of God. Now, Moses was in the household of God, but the language changes here. But Jesus was faithful as a son over the household. Moses is just like you and I. He's part of the house of God, but it is Jesus who is Lord of the house. It is Jesus who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And what does he say? Jesus is over the household of God and to his audience, his Jewish audience, who are Christians, he said, and we are that household. We see him use the word we a lot here. That is, he's associating himself with them as Christians. And we are that household. But he doesn't stop there. The next part of the verse is a tough part. And we are that household if... We hold on to the courage and the confidence of our hope. 
He's giving them a warning here. He's saying, look, you are the household of God if, if what? Now, there are lots of these if passages in the Old Testament, and maybe there are more of them than we realize. Paul uses similar language, just to give one example, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions. That is, once you were apart from God. You were a sinner. You had not been saved. You were living in rebellion. That's you and I, apart from Christ. That's who we are. Verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death. That's speaking of Jesus there. To present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If... Indeed, you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And I, Paul, have become a servant of it. So what does he say there? You were sinners and you were doomed. But Jesus came in his death and by his death and resurrection, you can receive eternal life so that you can be faultless and blameless before him. Now, again, he doesn't stop there. What does he tell his audience? You can be faultless and blameless before him if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith. He's calling them to keep the faith, to not turn from Jesus Christ, to not give up on the one who is their Savior. It is by faith we are saved, and he says, Hold on to the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Be steadfast in the faith. And that's similar language that we see here in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But you are the household of God if we hold on to the courage and the confidence of our hope. Why has he given them this warning? Because they're, they're, they're starting to loosen their grip. They're not holding on to the courage and the confidence of their hope. They're losing their grip on that. And they're wanting to turn back to something that was not going to save them. They wanted to turn back to an old way of life that was going to be bad news for them. And so that's the book of Hebrews. This is the theme. This is the idea that he continues from beginning to end. Do not turn from Jesus Christ because he is better. And so we started this section. Consider Jesus. What of us today? Perhaps today we are not tempted to turn back to the old sacrificial system. Perhaps today we don't want to go sacrifice animals. Perhaps today we don't want to build a temple and be priest in this church. But perhaps there is something else in our life that may appear or seem better than Jesus to us. Maybe there are other things in our life we are clinging to, we are seeking. Maybe we have heard the Word of God. Maybe we know the Word of God. But maybe today you're not trusting in Jesus Christ. What a tragedy it would be for us to hear the Word of God, to know the truth of Jesus Christ and reject that truth. Not put our faith in Jesus Christ and not live in that faith. What a tragedy that would be for us today. Now, I would hope there would be nobody in this room. It would, that would be the case, but perhaps there are some that do not know Jesus Christ this morning. Perhaps you have put your faith in many things, things that will never bring you any hope, things that will never bring you any joy, and things that will certainly not bring you eternal life. Whatever you have been considering in your life today, perhaps today it's time to consider Jesus. Perhaps today your struggle is not with choosing Jesus over Moses. 
Perhaps today you know full well that Jesus is better than Moses. But perhaps today our struggle is choosing Jesus over our possessions, as we talked about in Sunday school. Perhaps it's choosing Jesus over our comfort. Whatever it may be, there are many times in life that we may not choose Jesus. There are many times in life that the world may look a lot better. Sometimes we make the wrong choice, even as Christians. Perhaps today we need to be reminded, just as this Christian audience was, consider Jesus. Remember Jesus today. Hold firm in the faith. Don't turn to anyone or anything else, but trust Jesus with all your heart. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, if the Holy Spirit speaking to you, I pray that you'd repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and follow Him. Maybe you do know Jesus today, and maybe the warnings of the book of Hebrews, as scary and as tough as they may be, are words that you and I need to hear this morning. Let us not be those who hear the good news of Jesus and turn from it and run from it and never accept it. But let us be those today who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and seek to live for him with all of our heart. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today. We thank you for your good word. And I pray, dear Lord, that whatever struggles we may have in life, whatever things today that we may be tempted to choose over and above Jesus, or even worse, dear Lord, the things that we have chosen I pray, God, that you'd forgive us of those sins, that you would help us, dear Lord, to make the right choices, the right decisions. Dear Lord, that we would choose Jesus over and above all things, God. Maybe there are some here today and they sit on a pew and they've heard your word a lot and, and maybe they've never really put their faith in you. I mean, maybe they, they know your word a little bit and maybe they've even been baptized, dear Lord, but maybe they know in their heart that they have never really followed you with all their heart. They've never really put their faith in you, dear Lord, that they've just been going through the motions. God, if there are some today that you are convicting of that, then God, I pray that they would heed that, that nudging of the Holy Spirit, that they would repent right now, dear Lord, that they would come to you, that they put faith in Jesus Christ, God. Maybe there are some here today and they are yours. And they are genuinely yours. They genuinely have put their faith in you. But God, maybe there are things of the world that are tempting them to turn things of the world that, that, that are drawing them from you, dear Lord. Let us be like the prodigal son, dear Lord. Like the prodigal son, dear Lord, who decided to go on his own but realized that he needed to return to you. And oh, how you met him with welcome arms, God. Maybe there are some here today that they realize they need to repent, they need to turn back to you. Maybe, God, there are some in this room and we've been doing things our own way far too often. God, I pray today that we would repent. Dear Lord, I pray that, that, that we never lose focus of the greatness of Jesus Christ, that He is better. God, we thank You for Your Word in the Old Testament and what those things rep represented. But we thank You for Jesus, for bringing those things to fulfillment, for accomplishing the things that we could not accomplish, dear Lord. So I pray, God, that we would all seek Jesus today, that we would all be part of Your household, dear Lord. Maybe there are some here that are in Your household. I pray that You'd help us to stand firm. God, maybe there are some today and maybe even in this moment they have repented of their sins and they have entered your household, dear Lord, and you are dwelling in them. God, I pray that if there are some today that have made that decision to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that they would come forward today, that we would baptize them just as your word commands. We thank you for your word, dear Lord. We thank you for the few minutes we have to look at it. And I pray, God, that you just bless these last few minutes of this service. 
And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.